All right, so welcome to another episode of the 20 Mile Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Williams, and I'm here today uh, really excited to have Andrew McLeod. Uh, is that how you say your name? That's right. Yeah, cool. And so Andrew is with Certain and uh, has quite a, a history in entrepreneurship, uh, which I'm really excited to dig in today. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about um, you know, where, you, where you're from and kind of how you got started uh, as an entrepreneur? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, where I'm from is, is actually, it's, it's kind of a funny story because people ask me where I'm from and I'm, I'm from everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. So long story short, I was born in Nova Scotia, Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, I've lived in Toronto, Ontario, London, England. Uh, I did my undergraduate degree in Nova Scotia. I've lived in New York. I've lived in Central America. I've lived in Asia. I did my master's in Australia, and now I live in Victoria, British Columbia. So I, I like to say that I'm from Victoria, British Columbia, because that's where home is for me. Uh, but really, I'm, I'm from everywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. I'm, I've only been in Victoria my whole life, so I, I can't relate to all of that, but that's really awesome to, to hear. Uh, you mentioned school. What did you take in school? I did a bachelor's in business. Um, or a bachelor in uh, beer drinking and rugby, uh, and a and a master's in international business and law, uh, or a master's in drinking and surfing, uh, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, that that sounds like a great set of experience. Uh, you know, probably fairly similar to your entrepreneurial journey in some ways too. Um, and so uh, maybe I'll let you explain what certain is and what your role is at certain. Sure. So at certain, uh, my role is I'm in charge of product and marketing here. And basically what we do or what we set out to do was to help businesses make decisions about their people painlessly by building and managing the largest risk relevant network in the world. And what that means is we enable our clients to do background checks on their employees or maybe their tenants, or maybe they're looking to lend money to someone. We allow them to get all of the risk relevant information that they might need instantly. So it's at the tip of their fingers. Awesome. Seem, seems pretty relevant to, uh, you know, a lot of different spaces uh, today, I'm sure, which we'll, we'll probably get into. Um, when you're not working, sorry, what was your role? Did you say what your role is? Because you've got this, a unique position. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the C3O. So there's, there's three of us. So three of us, myself and my two best friends, started the company at the end of 2016. And we wanted to make sure that we were always unified and that we were doing things as a group. We didn't want to have a CEO or someone who was the boss. We wanted to make sure we were always on the same page. And that's where the CEO or C3O was born. We just flipped the E. Yeah. Interesting. I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about that uh, and some of the challenges maybe. So when you're not C3O or in the offices of certain, uh, what are you doing? What do you get up to? Any kind of organized sport or activity I'm involved in, but I think I'm most well known for surfing and snowboarding. I mean, I am on the waves every possible three minute I get. Excuse me. <laughs> which, which is less than I'd like these days, but you know, it's, it's, it's my happy place. It's where I, I can disconnect. Yeah, definitely on the island is a, is a good place to do that. The, the problem is there's a lot of other people trying to do those things. So you do get up to the mountain. It's pretty packed and yeah. And, and then Tofino was blocked recently, wasn't it? You couldn't even get through. Well, I was in Port Renfrew this weekend surfing and the roads were closed. I had to drive through a river and oh, wow. it's, it was wild. Yeah, you got to be really dedicated. You got to want it. 
Yeah, seriously. I mean, we're, we're crazy up here. We, you know, we serve in the middle of winter in Canada. It's not, uh, we're not, we're not a normal bunch. <laughs> That's true. Um, what, what do you consider your superpower? Oh, well, actually, I mean, I had this discussion the other day and my, my, my wife put it best. She said that I'm really good at convincing people to do things that they probably shouldn't do. And that, that's, that seems like a superpower and like a force for evil. Um, but the way she put it was that I am good at get it, rallying people around a cause or an idea. And, you know, maybe it's not the most well thought out plan, but I can get people on board and somehow make it successful. Yeah, no, and, and it is a, a, a superpower that could kind of go either way because there are yeah, super villains. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as far as entrepreneurship, it just sounds like a really strong leadership quality, um, which can be a good thing. You can basically manipulate people, for lack of a better word, to do some awesome things. And if you want them to do the things you want to do to grow your company, that's a pretty good skill to have. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I, I want to make it enjoyable, you know, like I want to better everybody. And I think my passion for bettering people and bettering the business is, is something that, you know, gets people on board without maybe having thought about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. And some, a lot of times in entrepreneurship, we don't want to think too much. We kind of want to act and, and see what, uh, what comes of it. Um, so, so before we kind of get into your story, we, you and I, I, we didn't actually really meet at MetaBridge. We went, kind of went head to head uh, in a pitch competition, uh, which you won. So kind of interesting, you know, your, uh, your skill set was certainly uh, on display that day on the stage. I think you were really convincing uh, the voters as well as the uh, potential investors or the, the sharks uh, to, to, you know, take interest in, in what you were pitching at the time, because I'll let you explain that in the story. But uh, interesting way for us to kind of meet. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was, that was a really good event. There were some really amazing companies uh, just... I saw what nobody else didn't, which was interacting with the judges. So when I sat next to the judges in the middle of the pitch, I think it, it threw everybody off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I, I remember when I went up and I was like very, I was like ready, I was scripted. I'm like, I got this memorized. And right away, somebody threw out some information about the company uh, to me. And I was like, oh, you're throwing me off. I only have like whatever, five minutes and kind of threw me off. But I think that that's so like, if you just go out there and just kind of be yourself and engage with the investors, which is the way it should be, uh, it seems to work in your favor. So. Definitely. And when it, when it comes to pitches, I'm the guy that doesn't prepare or just shows up and then <laughs> it just, it, it comes out of my mouth. And in that case, it was, I, I think that the way to not get asked the hardest questions is to be right on the level with the judges. And I think when I sat down, they were like, yeah, I, I don't know what we're going to ask this guy. He's, he's either <laughs> overconfident or crazy. You've turned the tables on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about your story. You know, we've talked a little bit about it, but, you know, I'm not sure where your entrepreneurial journey kind of started and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about how it's led you to where you are. Well, if you talk to my mom, my entrepreneurial journey started at the age of five when I decided that I wanted to start a paintball field. Um, you know, this is before any rational person would ever want a, uh, let their kid have a paintball gun, which I didn't have. I was just convinced that laser tag wasn't tough enough, um, for a five-year-old. So I, you know, wanted to get into something a little, uh, a little crazier. Uh, I never got my paintball field, but I definitely developed my, my passion for entrepreneurship. Um, my first, my first real job was a, a ski and snowboard instructor, uh, at a hill in Ontario called Beaver Valley. 
And then, uh, and then after that, I started my own landscaping business and made more money than most of my friends in a summer and started to realize that entrepreneurship was, was kind of the path. And it, it, it snowballed from there. When I was in university, I started a, a classified site, which I sold in, uh, in my undergrad. So I think it was uh, 2006, 2007 uh, that I ended up selling that. And, uh, and then I got into real estate. So I, you know, I went from uh, the poorest kid at Acadia to selling my business and buying the nicest house at, in Wolfville at the time and, uh, and renting it to all of my friends. Uh, so you know, it, it, it was one of those things that I was always seeing these broken processes and I was able to fix them. So I've, I've barely ever had a real job. It's always been you know, starting something and the entrepreneurial journey. It's, the most exciting thing in the world to me. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because sometimes we talk to entrepreneurs and, and they haven't had that. So you sound like you've kind of been a natural from a very young age. This has really appealed to you and something that's kind of taken you versus you kind of, uh, or, or you, you've pursued it, like you really wanted this versus sometimes people kind of stumble into it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'd say I'm one of the few entrepreneurs that, that didn't really spend a lot of time sinking their teeth into something that, that wasn't entrepreneurial. Uh, I say it's because I'm, I'm chronically unemployable. Um, and, uh, and others say it's just ADHD, but it's, uh, it's something that I've, I've always felt that that was what I wanted to do was entrepreneurship. I, I mean, I, I come from a, a family that was not traditionally very entrepreneurial. I mean, my dad worked for uh, the Royal Bank of Canada or one of its uh, predecessors for 30 years. Um, and, and my mom became a realtor, you know, kind of later in her career, but traditionally a very uh, non-entrepreneurial family. And somehow, you know, I, I got the gene. Yeah, that's funny. It, maybe it skips a generation. You should look further back maybe. <laughs> My grandfather was was actually an entrepreneur. So he he had uh, he actually owned Canada's oldest company. So not the Hudson's Bay Company because that was technically a British company that you know became Canadian. It was Canada's first Canadian corporation, which is cool. Really, that's that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so what do you what do your parents think about you being an entrepreneur? Maybe they're a little more comfortable now as you've got a little further on. But when you kind of started out, uh, well, when I started out, my dad thought I was a drug dealer. Um, because he knew that he wasn't giving me money and somehow I was driving, you know, new cars and trying to buy houses and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it was definitely, uh, it was, it was definitely a, a funny dynamic where my mom was, you know, very much like, yay, you know, whatever you do, go for it. And my dad's like, where, how is this? I don't understand. Like I work for a bank. These numbers do not compute. You're supposed to be net losing money in university and somehow you're talking about buying houses and you, you know, you just, uh, you bought a Dodge Nitro, which makes no sense. I don't know why I bought a brand new Dodge Nitro. <laughs> it made no, I'm sorry, uh, Chrysler, but uh, buying a Dodge Nitro when you're, I don't know, I think I was like 20 or yeah, maybe 20. I don't even know what a Dodge Nitro would look like. Oh, it's, it's not very handsome, but it's, it did, it did have four wheel drive and it was an SUV and it was black and, you know, okay. and I, you know, I, I, probably my fascination with, uh, with, uh, used cars and cars of all types started when I went into that dealership and this guy, I walked in, you know, looking for a basic car and this guy sold me a, you know, brand new SUV. <laughs> oh man, you should have hired that guy for your sales team. 
Should have. I, I should find him. I got to go to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And... Maybe, he'll hear, maybe he'll listen to the podcast. And... Yeah, hopefully. Um, cool. And, and so, you know, one of the things that, that I say quite often is like, I don't want to go back and get a master's because I think that I'll just overanalyze everything. Like I won't be kind of, I won't, I'll lose my edge and, and be a little too educated and be like, oh, I've looked at this opportunity. It's risky. We shouldn't do it. Versus I think what entrepreneurs do is like, yeah, it looks risky, but I don't have all of the the information, let's just try it. And, and then you start doing it. So you went back and, and you, or you've done a master's. Do you feel like that's uh, an advantage, disadvantage? You know, would you do it again? I would definitely do it again, but I think that I went to school for a different reason than most people went to school. Um, I went to school because I, I really wanted to spend some time in Australia. You know, I, I had a bunch of friends that had gone there. And then one day, uh, one of my old professors from Acadia said, hey, you should do a master's at the University of Sydney. They've got a combined degree in international business and law. And at the time I had one of my only jobs ever and I was working for an ad agency in Toronto. Uh, and I had gained about 40 pounds. I looked terrible. Um, I was wildly unhealthy. I didn't like Toronto. I wasn't surfing. It, was, it, it wasn't a good time in my life and I wasn't very, I had kind of lost that entrepreneurial spark. I had sold one of my businesses and, and decided that I wanted to be like madmen in Toronto, uh, but it, it didn't really work out. So I wanted this new experience and I somehow somebody convinced the University of Sydney to let me in. And, uh, and a couple months later, I was on a, a plane to Sydney. Huh. So, uh, so you, you feel like you put in that to work quite often in your role, uh, what you gain from that degree, or is it more about the surfing and drinking that you, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, I'd say a I would say that there's, well, my grandmother used to say there's only one thing that nobody can take away from you, and that's your education. Uh, they can take your money, they can take your house, they can take your family, but they can't take your education. So I've always had a really big uh, passion for learning, and yeah. you know, knock on wood, fortunately, I, I've always been pretty good at school. So I took a lot out of it in kind of the general sense, you know, it's, it's more practice. It's, you know, you're writing, you're thinking analytically, you're doing um, a lot of stuff that helps improve you. Not necessarily, you know, am I going to flip back through my old textbook or, you know, get a practical learning. Um, but it did build a lot of really great foundations. So one of the things, you know, in, in studying law in school is now I know what books to read. Uh, and I know, you know, what standard form contracts to use or, or how to yeah. use them and how to, how to actually analyze that information. I don't think it made me, uh, it, it definitely didn't make me more adverse to risk. I would say it allowed me to build frameworks so that I could be a little bit smarter about risk, but genetically or, you know, from my background, risk isn't something that. I'm afraid of. I just I've learned to calculate it better. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's super cool. I mean, I definitely think of like the the legal side of things. Like when I'm reading legalese, I'm like, I don't know what this says, right? So I think that that that's certainly an advantage. Uh, and like you said, you know, more learning, more schooling is never a, a bad thing, and no one can take it away from you. Um, you know, I guess for me, I'm I'm thinking that it's going to take away this like, you know, I, I'm too educated to to take these risks because I'm not a risk taker inherently. Right. But it sounds like it's kind of naturally uh, for you, naturally comes to you. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think it, it also depends on your, your life experience. 
Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, I went back to school at a relatively young age and I was, I was stuck. I was in a place where I, I was unhealthy. I wasn't overly happy. I always joke when, when people say, you know, why did you live in Toronto? Was, I, I lived in Toronto to find my wife. I stayed there until, uh, until she was comfortable enough that when I said, Hey, I'm moving to Australia to do a master's, will you come with me? That yeah. she would say yes. Um, <laughs> And so that's the real story. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I did my time yeah. uh, and uh, and, you know, we're we're still happily married to this day. Um, so it's it's it, there was a reason why I was there. And, you know, I, I would I would definitely do it again for the surfing and the drinking. Um, and, the you know, the thing that most people don't realize about uh, about a master's degree, especially if you're doing it full time or pretty much full time work is so much harder than school. <laughs> like school is, school is a piece of cake compared to at least the, the, the work that I've done yeah. over time. Um, and I, you know, I found that going into my master's and, and well, going through my master's is I had a lot of friends that would be stressed about tests or assignments or, you know, there's too much work coming out of this program right. where I had been an entrepreneur there is no such thing as too much work and there are there are so many hours in a day and the law of diminishing returns when you're not employing people people aren't you know relying on you if i get a an a or a d you know am i going to be a little bit more stressed about it yeah but I, there's no one's going to get laid off right. I, you know i'm not going to end up in the newspaper for something bad uh, yeah. it's it, it it was very it was relaxing it was like a a, a year long vacation no, that's funny. Well, you know, not many people probably have that same experience when they've been an entrepreneur. Because if you become an entrepreneur and you're successful, you probably just go on and continue to work there. I guess there are some people that go back and get an MBA, but you know, I don't look at school as as an easy thing. You know, it's it's more of a chore for me. But um, kind of backing up maybe to the middle of your story, but can you can you tell us about uh, the founding of Certain and and you can decide where you want to begin that at the previous company or uh, in the middle, whatever you can talk about, but uh, the story of how certain came to be. Yeah, so I I think it it kind of goes back to you know a position of being unhappy or 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 feeling a little bit stuck uh, at at my last company, which I I helped start um, with. I had I had two partners there, um, and Owen and Evan, my two best friends, also worked there. It was a it was a pretty stressful time for me. I, I wasn't happy. I was feeling stuck. You know, I was I was I had kind of reached the top in, in my mind uh, where I could be in that company. And I didn't sell, set myself up for holistic success. I was really focused on work, work, work all the time. I wasn't surfing as much. I wasn't I, I wasn't doing all of the things that you need to be, you know, truly there. And one day I kind of, I, I boiled over, you know, by myself. I was, I would, I just felt sick to my stomach. I didn't feel well. And the things that I loved about my last company were some of the people that I worked with. Um, and so, you know, on that day, myself and my two best friends, we decided, Hey, we, we've got to do something together. Um, we've got to do something amazing. And we had seen that there was this problem with getting information about people. So, we decided that we wanted to build a people data company. And, and funny enough, um, we originally we thought that we wanted to have an insurance company. And 
this funny thing about, you know, being an entrepreneur myself as an entrepreneur, my two business partners, both fantastic entrepreneurs, and we like to sell things before we build them. So what we did is we went, we went to a hundred companies and we said, Hey, will you buy our insurance product? Um, and, and 90 of the hundred said no chance, but they all asked, you know, how are you able to underwrite this insurance? And it was all because we were able to find out about the, about, we were able to find information about people that allowed us to make better decisions faster. And everybody wanted to buy that. So that was kind of the, you know, the pivot into how certain as you see it today was born. Yeah. And that sort of speaks to, uh, I don't know how much product management you've, you've done uh, in your career, but it's kind of that, let's go out and see what the stakeholders, you know, and a big one being the customers, what do they want? And we're going to pitch them this. And then the feedback that they give you listen to, and that shapes the project product and also shapes the company. Most definitely. I mean, product management is the most important thing in the world. There's too many companies that are out looking for money uh, or building a product before they've ever found product market fit. And I mean, we pivoted a number of times, but you know, we always made sure that our, our guesses and our bets were educated before we, you know, jumped in with two feet. Right, right. So can you talk a little bit about those pivots specifically, what they were and the story? Yeah. Well, I mean, so we started off as an insurance company yeah. and then we realized that the cost to make an insurance company was, was, you know, somewhere between five and 10 million before we made our first dollar. Um, and, you know, as, as two uh, unemployed or three unemployed uh, gentlemen in their early thirties, we thought maybe not such a good idea to, to spend, you know, five or $10 million on a, uh, on an insurance company just yet when, when everyone wants to buy our, our, our people data. So we, we launched our, our tenant screening product. Um, and at first we did, uh, a couple interesting things, uh, that, you know, maybe we got a little bit too much information on people to start. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we had to, we had to pivot and we had to decide, okay, you know, there are three main areas that we want to look at when it comes to people and how we're evaluating them. And really the goal should not be to eliminate good people from the process. In fact, we want to make sure that when we're doing tenant screening, that we're approving more applicants than say a credit score would. Um, and we're approving better applicants. So, you know, how do we make that pool bigger with people that, you know, might not have the same length of tenancy experience. So, you know, students, uh, new grads, uh, people who are new to the country. Um, and at the same time, you know, how do we make sure that, uh, that these people are, are really great because, you know, new immigrants, students, like there are a lot of really, really good ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and those are the people that have the hardest time trying to find an apartment. So once we started taking that approach, we were able to like, you know, kind of turn away from the, like, here's everything about somebody and say, okay, here's everything that that's going to be risk relevant about this person. And, you know, here are the reasons in simple terms, you know, why they would be good or why there might be uh, a, a potential issue. Yeah. So, and, so do, you give a, do you give a score and say, take this person and not this person or more just like a profile of, like a, almost like a risk profile of, Hey, you know, here's some of the things that we know, here's some of the holes. Like, I don't know if there's a score or a yes, no. But. So we, we don't give a yes, no, but typically what we'll do is we'll give a score kind of like a, on a, on a report card, 
or you know on a test it'll it'll be a score out of a hundred mm -hmm. um, so in property management we still do the score out of a hundred um, and this compares um, all of the different factors the interesting thing about the score and one of the reasons why we still have it today in property management is that in property management they have heavily relied on just a credit score by itself for the longest time so if, mm. if you had a score of less than say 700 or less than 600 you know you wouldn't be able to qualify for certain types of apartments mm. and so that meant that there was well basically discrimination against people that didn't have the same type of credit they may be excellent at paying their bills they may have paid bills in you know australia or england or Antarctica or wherever they uh, they came from, but in Canada they didn't have any credit history. So we had to figure out a way to to build a score that would actually improve the chances that's that a good candidate from somewhere else or that for some reason didn't have great credit could still have access to the apartment that they could deserve and that they could afford. Um, so it still exists today. In uh, in human resources, it's a little bit different because um, that's you know one of the areas that we pivoted into, um, or I, maybe not pivoted, but branched into, uh, because we still do the, uh, the tenant screening side of things. Most of that is actually done through, we, we power the tenant screening for a lot of the biggest software providers in property management. But on the human resources side, it's basically, we're gonna give you a list of things that, that you might wanna review. Because some of the things that we look at might be subjective, um, you know, you can't necessarily say that uh, a DUI has an impact on your position as a customer support representative. Um, it's something that you might want to review, um, but it, it's it's not necessarily something we can score to say, okay, take 20 points off. Um, if you were a truck driver, you know, a DUI might be take 100 points off. So it was it was mm -hmm. it's hard to score and. And also could be unfair for people that, you know, might have something in their past that they've gotten beyond. Right. Uh, so there's there's kind of two sides, two different types of of products that we offer, or reports that we offer. Right. So so you're focused on the the HR piece and the the tenant screening. Yeah. Really. Really. Now more HR than tenant screening because we've built this awesome little hamster wheel in tenant screening where our customers are the software providers that then provide our solution to their customers. Okay. So a, a lot of the big and small software providers in North America use certain to power their credit reporting and their, their tenant screening. So when I say it's a hamster wheel, it, you know, it grows at 15% month over month and we don't have any salespeople working on it. It's all API driven and it's, it's kind of, it's the perfect product in, in the sense that, you know, we, we built something amazing and everybody wants to use it. And we found really great channel partners to get it out to the market. And today human resources is, is where our sales team focuses, our marketing team focuses. And that's because in human resources, especially since we, we did a, since we got our agreement with the RCMP to be able to do criminal record checks faster than anybody in the country. Um, that has been really, really important because there's a massive pain point. Today in talent acquisition, it takes a week or more sometimes to be able to do a background check on someone where 
our reports come back in a matter of minutes. So that's criminal record checks, credit history, employment verification, education verification. We can even do reference checks and we make it really, really easy. And we provide really great support where if you talk to anyone who's not using us right now, chances are they hate their background check provider. And we're going through that product management process of, of looking into whether this is a viable market. 100% of the 100 people we talked to said, we hate our background check provider. Oh, which wow. was the most passionate response I've ever seen from any, <laughs> any group of people ever. Yeah. Uh, so so it, it's been our focus. And I mean, we're, I mean, we've, we brought on like a thousand clients in the last year. So it, it's been, it's been crazy. Awesome. So, so uh, how many people work uh, at certain right now? So right now we have 32 uh, contractors and employees uh, most of which are, are based right here in Victoria, British Columbia. Cool. And, and looking to hire and grow? Always hiring. Always hiring. In fact, uh, we, we had a, a new cohort come in today. So we have a, a, a handful of new men and women that have just joined our team. So a really exciting day here. Awesome. That's, that's great. Great to hear. Uh, and did you, did you take funding? Did you raise money for this or was it bootstrapped? Yeah, so we originally raised about 1.8 million Canadian, uh, and then we are about to announce the closing of another financing, um, which I can't give the details of, but I can let you know that it's it's super exciting. Um, it 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 came at the perfect time in October. We announced that we were profitable, and uh, in December uh, we ended up signing a, a term sheet with a a, a really incredible investor. Um, and I'm just waiting for the green light to, to tell the world. That's awesome. That, that's great to hear. Congrats on that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more, which will, will come maybe in a good time with the podcast as well. really get you out there in the news. But um, I assume that uh, you've been going for, for how long now? I guess about three years. Okay. So over those three years, like a lot of what you've shared has been pretty positive and all the good things that have happened. You know, where have the challenges been? Uh, are, are the three founders, are any of them technical? Not, not overly. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm arguably the most technical of the three of us, um, which means I know how to use a microphone and a computer. Uh, but <laughs> the only guy that could do the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but no, the three of us aren't technical. So, you know, we have our, the, the three of us who came up with the idea originally, we actually have six co-founders, which is is okay. slightly more than most companies have. So, you know, myself, Owen and Evan started the company and then we brought on three of the smartest guys I've ever met. And uh, so Will, Kurt and Dan are our three technical co-founders. Okay. And these guys are, you know, guys that have masters in computer science and machine learning that we're doing data science on, you know, in space. Uh, some really, really bright young guys who were passionate about our idea. And, uh, and so that kind of filled the, the technical gap for us. Right. And, and so along the way, like, you know, cause I hear, I hear quite often that, you know, there's, there's a couple founders and they're non-technical and they're always looking for that like technical co-founder. Some of them just don't exist or they're already making great money somewhere else. Um, but were there any big challenges in, in starting this thing or with like, Hiring, you know, you must have come across some pretty, uh, some, some big hurdles along the way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, finding technical co-founders, I, I feel like we, I mean, 
we got really, really lucky. You we were in the right place. Right. Superpower, right? I well, <laughs> I I'd like to say I did, but but the truth is, is that uh, our our mutual friend, a guy named Richard Egley from the Alacrity Foundation here in Victoria, he and I were working on my. I had a Mercedes Sprinter, and I was camperizing it, so he was helping me wire it, and we were friends actually from Metabridge, but we had kept in touch and and. Uh, and he said to me, how come you don't move to Victoria? And, and I looked at him like, cause there's no talent, no money in Victoria. I'd be here in a heartbeat, but like, I, like who would I hire? And like, you know, how would I get funding? And you know, like does Victoria even have a tech scene? And so, so he basically said to the no talent, no money, you want to bet. And so I took the bet and I lost miserably, but also won in spades. Um, so, Two days later, we were we were in Victoria, myself and and one of my co-founders, Owen, were in Victoria, sitting across the table from with two of the three technical co-founders, um, and you know we we left that meeting, uh, we left that meeting and and it was like these are the guys we just you know we have to figure out how we can rally these troops. And the third guy is an old surf buddy of mine, you know, known each other for a decade. Uh, you know, he was in, he was in, uh, an easier sell um, and he was in Victoria as well. So, you know, we, we convinced these guys to join us. And I swear within 10 minutes of that, that first meeting, Owen's wife had a job at BC Ferries and was already moving to Victoria. And I had to try and break it to my wife who... Uh, who is very happy that we live here now, but was not so excited when I told her, hey, we're moving to the island. Um, we had, at that time, we had moved 10 times in, in eight years or seven years, and she was like, I'm not moving again. <laughs> well, hopefully this is home for a while for you and you can kind of settle in. This, this is home. We, we, you know, we've, we've, got, uh, we've got now two houses in Victoria. We've, we've got an incredible network. Uh, and, and we're, we're actually having our first child in August. So oh, congrats. we've settled. Thanks. You, you have a, uh, quite the, the year ahead of you. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm told that there's no great time to have kids, but now seems like as good of a time as any. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. We're both excited. Awesome. Congrats. I have, I have four myself and, uh, they keep me busy, but there, there really is no perfect time. I hear people, Oh, once I paid up, paid for my house or I'm debt free, I'm like, It'll never happen. And then you'll go by. So just do it. It's more of a reason to do things faster. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you mentioned Owen and Evan uh, a couple of times throughout. Uh, they're the other parts of the C3O, which I think is really interesting. Um, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about that. You know, from the outside, you know, or potentially you know, looking at investors or, or board members, you know, I would assume that a lot of them are pushing you to the kind of a single um, CEO, uh, but I'm curious to see how you guys make that work and kind of the ups and downs uh, of that that three part three person role. At first, uh, we had a lot of investors, a lot of potential board members say, "We, you know, we don't like this structure. You know, we we don't think it sends the right message. You know, you you'd have to be a very strong team to 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 tackle this." And this is usually, you know, I, I dealt with most of our our fundraising and. I would just say, meet the other two guys, see how we interact, spend some time with us. And if you still think that, then we'll consider it. And within minutes, these investors, these potential board members are like, wow, 
there's a chemistry between you guys and the rest of the team that's unlike anything we've ever seen before. I mean, Evan and I have known each other since grade 10. So we have known each other for a very long time. And, you know, we are as close to, to brothers as you could possibly be. In fact, well, we see each other way more than we see our own siblings because we sit next to each other for 12 hours a day, every day. And we have for the last like seven years. Um, and Owen, Owen was a nice compliment. So Owen joined our last company uh, as the CFO. And, and it was kind of funny because when we were, when we were looking for a CFO in our last company, we needed someone who was very strong, put it that way. Our, our CEO needed a very strong CFO in our, in our last company. And, uh, and Owen, Owen fit that bill physically. Uh, and we soon found mentally uh, to be a very strong person. And, and I, I swear, you know, we, we brought him on at the last company and we we're fast friends. And that was, yeah, five, six years ago. And well, yeah, six years ago now. And again, we haven't spent a day apart or, you know, our, our wives are our best friends. You know, there's, there's unlimited synergies between our, our family lives. And we just, we get along, like even when stuff is just terrible, like when we're deep in the shit, <laughs> the one thing that is always constant is that, that we're, our communication is there, that we're friends. You know, we, we talk about things and we make sure that each other are okay. Cause it's really easy when you're in a high growth startup and when you're in, when you're trying to start anything for you to feel burnt out or for you to feel alone. And you know, these guys are just, I couldn't do it without them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like a good complement of, of skills uh, and working together and, and friends plus, you know, kind of family and, and work life all blended uh, into one. Is there anything that you guys kind of specifically do like, Oh, we meet every Wednesday or we always make sure to, you know, go for a vacation together. Is there anything that you do that would be good advice for the listeners to hear? Like if you find yourself in a, you know, kind of three headed founder situation that uh, you think that they would uh, find valuable. So we do, we do, we try and do two offsites a year where, you know, we just, we go somewhere and we just, just have it out. Um, you know, usually, usually it's not, uh, really having it out, but we just, we have a good time. We kind of take the, the business hat off. Um, we try and work out together. Um, so, you know, we, we try and do stuff outside of work in, in that sense, but we don't really have to try that hard because you know, what we're doing on the weekend, nine times out of 10, it's, it's just a given that it involves them, um, or, or vice versa. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, if you can find that relationship where you've, you know, you've worked with someone in the past, you've been really close with them and then to start a business with them, it's so much better than going in with someone who just has a really good idea. Um, because you know, you, you know, your team, you know, their strengths their weaknesses, uh, you know how to approach them when they're not doing something right. And they know how to approach you when you're not doing something right. Or, you know, they know how to take you when you're, when you're having a bad day and you're just being an a-hole. <laughs> right. right. And so it sounds like, you know, being friends, you kind of just pick up on some of these key things and, and you probably have sort of a informal um, set of rules and communication that you guys kind of do ad hoc and, you know, might be on the weekend. It might be hey, you know, he looks kind of down or he's dealing with something. I would, I would go help him grab a coffee or something. It's kind of informal, nothing really structured. Yeah. We, I mean, we do meet twice a week. So we meet, 
uh, on Monday afternoons and Friday afternoons. Yeah. Um, and you know, the Monday afternoon is usually like, Hey, what, you know, what do you need help with this week? What are the kind of, what are the things that are on fire? You know, what are the things that are just going really, really well? And then Friday is like, that was a great week. You know, let's either have a beer or, you know, talk about more of the light stuff, you know, the things that maybe we got done and we celebrated and we, we do a, like a rose and thorn. So we kind of do a rose and thorn of every week and you know, how can we improve on that? So there's, there's some structure, um, but it's, it's not like a forced meeting. It's, you know, they're two of the meetings that I look forward to most every week. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And, and sounds like a really great support system. So you, you've got, you know, complementing skills, you've got a support system, you've got a friend, you know, you've got someone that you can really kind of lean on. Um, so, you know, that's, it's certainly great to have uh, throughout this journey, you know, which has probably been, you know, lots of long hours and working hard and fast, not knowing whether you're going to, you know, what you're going to be doing next week, next month. Uh, how do you deal with that? personally yourself like is there any habits that you have or any things that you do to kind of make sure that you're at your best mentally physically and able to deal with the stresses of entrepreneurship definitely at our last company that was something that i totally neglected especially you know my mental and physical health in terms of you know was i grinding all the time definitely but that really takes a toll on you if if you're not balanced and for right. me I've spent the last few years trying to perfect it, really trying to make sure that I am my best self and that when I'm coming to work every day that I'm, I'm delivering and that I am the best that I can possibly be. So for me, my day is, is, is I know it's going to be chaos. So I get up at five every morning and I go to the gym and that's, you know, the first thing that I do. And it's about a 20 minute walk to the gym. So most people, uh, you know, they want to, they sit and meditate for me. I walk and, and kind of meditate. It's, you know, it's my time for like thinking clearly, being thankful, um, really being grateful for, for everything that I have or do. And, and then I go to the gym and I, I, well, I want to say I lift as much weight as possible as I possibly can, um, which is not very much weight. Uh, but you know, I, I, I lift weights and you know, I, I do my routines and from there, uh, on, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, then I play squash with guys from the team. So a couple guys and girls from certain, we, we play squash on Mondays and Wednesdays. And that's like, that's my cardio. It's like the most intense hour, uh, ever. And, and then I'm, I'm in the office by seven thirty eight o'clock every day. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like a great routine. And, you know, throughout the podcast, your energy just comes through, right? And, and you've just got this smile. So it's, it feels very genuine that you've done a good job to manage yourself and you really are just enjoying this, this journey along the way. Oh, you have to. I mean, burnout is a real thing. And in, in every company that I've ever had, that was, that's what caused me to hit my wall is that, you know, up here was not where it needed to be. My, my brain was not in the right place. I was, I was looking at, at other things that I didn't need to be looking at. There wasn't clarity. I wasn't feeling great. And that was reflected in the quality of work that I was doing and in my ability to, to perform my superpower. And so, you know, all that's changed. And, and now that I live in Victoria, when I lived in Vancouver, I used to have to travel. Usually I'd come to Victoria every weekend uh, or, you know, the, the greater Victoria area. 
and to go surfing or I'd go down to Westport, Washington, or I'd fly somewhere. And now I can surf every weekend. And, you know, if, if I'm having a, a really bad day, which I think it's only ever happened once in, in the entirety of certain, I can go and I can surf. And that's like my, I'm disconnected yeah. because surfing here is you drive an hour and a half into the woods where you have no signal. Um, you know, there's very little chance of rescue if anything bad happens. And, you know, you go do your favorite thing where you can't be disturbed. And then you come back. And for me, it's like, it's, I come back completely clear. Yeah. And I think that's so important because, you know, we get in this routine of coming to work every day and I got to go to work and I got to perform. Part of that performance is potentially just don't be there and do something completely uh, different and somewhere else that maybe an idea pops in and maybe not. Uh, you just come back the next day, hopefully more refreshed. And I think that, you know, we need to be a little more proactive about allowing those things uh, to happen as entrepreneurs. It's the most important thing. I mean, if, if you're starting to feel burnout, the worst thing you can do is just, you know, plow out another eight meetings in a day or just, you know, add more stress. Mental health is super important when you're trying to perform at an elite level, when you're trying to grow a business to take a half day or a whole day to go and do something that you know is going to make you feel better is, is super important. And just knowing that you have the ability to do that in your back pocket is really important. And right. you know, whether it's me or our newest employee, they know, you know, if, if, if they're not able to perform up here and they know they have a, a solution to fix it, that's that's legal and appropriate then they should take a, a, a day um, and and they should go do it because they're going to come back twice as effective as they would if they had just stuck around right absolutely and that's such that's good advice for entrepreneurs and employees and, and anyone uh, in general so appreciate you sharing that um, you mentioned squash which made me think when I was at your office uh, there's a game there that you invented and I <laughs> I think it'd be great for you just, just for fun to explain what that game is. And maybe that talks a little bit about the, the culture at certain and what it's like to be there. Well, I mean, the game is slap ball. Um, otherwise known as the beautiful game. Uh, and uh, we didn't steal that from soccer at all. No. <laughs> um, and, and basically it, uh, it's actually, it's really symbolic here at certain because when we, when we first started, we had an office that had a ping pong table, you know, it was a, uh, shared office space had a ping pong table and we would play ping pong you know get the stress out and then eventually you know compliance regulations forced us to have our own office and we couldn't afford an office that, that had a ping pong table we had a small office above a local coffee shop you know fun memories and all we had was this weird shaped boardroom table and so we moved in the new office and everyone was excited that we had a new office, but they were kind of upset that, you know, we couldn't play ping pong and there wasn't really activities. And so I, I said to the guys, listen, guys, you don't need ping pong to have fun. We're just, we're going to have our own game. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. So I, I grabbed two Amazon paper boxes and put them on either side of the table to make a net and then put a, a tube of tennis balls in the middle and took one of the tennis balls out. And I said, who wants to play? And we, it's, it's literally ping pong with a tennis ball. And, uh, and what, what is classically certain about it is that we took this, this game that was made out of two paper boxes and a tube of tennis balls. And all of a sudden we had guys that were building like 
predictive algorithms around who is going to win. You know, we had a, a complex scoring algorithm to determine, you know, who won the week or the month or the year, you know, who is the most improved player. And everything was like, you know, as, as nerdy as you can possibly get. Uh, and this game, I mean, to this day, uh, you know, every lunch hour and after work, you've, you've got diehards that are, are battling it out to make it to the top of the leaderboard for the week. That's awesome. And it, maybe that's a, another spin out company, but I do think it's, again, speaks to that superpower of yours is to convince people like, Hey, let's, let's do this. And, and, and you know, it's, it's ping pong with tennis balls, but at, at certain and, and with you there, it's so much more than that. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, it's, it's the most fun you can have with stuff that you probably have lying around. <laughs> There's your commercial. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, um, what um if you're looking back on this this journey uh up to this point uh, is there anything that you would go back and and change about it or anything that you know you would you would do differently i would say i would measure twice and cut once um hindsight is always 2020 but we had a tendency and by we i mean i'm going to take full responsibility for this was just like shoot, 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 shoot. Like let's, you know, we, we would get the, you know, the buy-in from these potential customers to move forward on, you know, our product idea, but we wouldn't involve them in the process of actually building the product. We knew what the end goal was, but how we get to that end goal, we didn't think about in, in any meaningful way. Um, and we, we started to implement that and that, that led to, Interesting things like we we started a we launched our, our product for human resources and at the beginning of 2019 and throughout you know the entire time that we we're doing this I said we we need to have a way that individuals can do checks on themselves and it was kind of like well who really needs to do checks on themselves um, well sure enough we we spin up this company literally like on a napkin, 600 bucks, we, we built this company, mycrc.ca, allows you to do criminal record checks on yourself. In, in two weeks, we had destroyed any of our like three year ex, expectations. Um, you know, month two, it was a third of our revenue. And, uh, and so, you know, taking things like that um, and trying them, you know, Surveying the market, getting to know the market a little bit better beyond just the hundred people that you ask originally is really important. And then, you know, when I say measuring twice and cutting once, my CRC, it got to the point where it got so much traffic and was doing so well that it basically exploded. So one day, one day it was, it was humming until it wasn't, and then we had to go into crisis mode and try and fix, you know, this this machine that was generating a third of our revenue, um, and you know. Fortunately, it wasn't a, a data breach or, you know, there wasn't any um, impact. It's just like literally the, the site just went down. Sure. Um, and it was all just a, a, a bandwidth issue. So that's, you know, that, that's one thing that if I could do it over again, I would be a little bit more patient and measure twice. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you don't want to necessarily slow down <clears throat> too much and, and measure three, four times and then maybe cut. You still yeah. go forward. But, you know, if you could... You know, if you knew that opportunity was there and just it just kind of smooth over some of those bumps rather than, like you said, have it explode on you. Yeah. 
such a great problem to have, but if, if you knew how to just kind of smooth over that and carry on, it'd be so much more comfortable. Yeah. Just, or just build a solid foundation. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. not just, I can do this. I, you know, like I, I used to build websites in WordPress. This is fine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, not, not, not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, earlier on in the interview, you mentioned uh, um, learning and, and books and stuff. Do you have any books uh, that really stick out in your mind that you really enjoyed reading or, or one that you're kind of currently reading? So I would say that I am probably the worst reader. And this is uh, like coming from a guy that has spent way too much time in school. I am, I am a terrible reader. Like, you know, my, my, uh, I'd say my, my biggest flaw is that I don't read enough. Um, and I don't, I actually don't read very well. Uh, I found out that I was an auditory learner at a young age and that I, I soak up everything that I hear. So I've, I've, I've been really big into audiobooks. Cool. And I mean, in, in terms of audiobooks, there, there are so many good ones. Uh, you know, recently, um, anything like the Tony Robbins podcast has been, you know, a, a staple recently, or at least over the last year, you know, when I'm trying to get my, you know, health and, and mind and body, you know, running at full tilt so that I can perform the way that I'm supposed to perform. Um, those are, are things that I take very, very seriously. Um, and other than that, I'm trying to think of like the last really good audiobook I've read there, or, or listened to. I mean, there's, there, there are so many that my, uh, my mind's drawing a blank onto, onto like, what is the best one? I'll think, I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, I haven't actually read uh, or listened to much of Tony Robbins, but the stuff I have seen is pretty, uh, interesting and I always hear good things about it so I have to check that out for sure he's I mean the guy is he's he's very smart and you know I, I've never been to any of his like his seminars or anything like that but the content that he produces is is really good it's really well thought out and it seems to be a little bit more balanced uh, especially you know there's there's always these debates it's like you know are, are you a vegan or a carnivore diet and you know till he his team will kind of, you know, break some of that down. And then there's, you know, things you should be doing versus shouldn't be doing. And, you know, how do you take baby steps, even like, you know, little workout tips, um, you know, like adding a little bit of weight every day you can apply to the rest of your life. And, um, you know, if, if you add too much weight right away, sometimes you'll crumble and that's not just in the gym. It's also, you know, in your daily life. Um, yeah. If you can accelerate gradually, then it's really good. So. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that for me, when I've seen success in entrepreneurship and, and in general, what, you know, whether it's training for something or, or work is uh, a little bit kind of each day, like consistency uh, over time, like staying persistent with things. Right. And so, you know, I'd hate to go to like an event and not saying that Tony Robbins events are like this, but go there and feel all hyped and then go home and be like, uh, right. Cause the only thing that's going to actually make you successful is that you can carry that energy forward and you don't kind of uh, tip over too far. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been uh, really interesting. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the, the podcast and, and sharing your story and uh, really sharing uh, some insights into certain and sounds like you guys have a really great story ahead and congrats on raising money and, uh, you know, first baby on, on the way in August, you said? Yeah, in August. Yeah. Con congrats on that. You're in for Thank you. a, a very exciting time. So thank you for coming on and sharing on the podcast.
Uh, and to all the list listeners, you can check us out at 20mile.co or follow us on social media at 20mileco. Uh, and if you like this podcast, share it with one person. Uh, and until then, keep on marching. Thanks.